Hey everyone, before we get into this episode, I just wanted to take a moment and acknowledge the fact that we did make a little bit of a mistake in the recording. Um, We were talking about things in the 1600s and then referring to that time period as the 16th century when it is in fact the 17th century. We didn't really notice that we were saying these things in the moment, but upon listening to the recording, we definitely realized the error that we made. So I know it's probably annoying to listen to it in the moment and hear that. I was annoyed by it. Um, but hopefully that doesn't deter you from giving it a listen. So without further ado, here is the very first episode on Sleeping Beauty. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Mel. My name is Tegan. And we are Allegory Story. That sounds stupid. We are? Are we? Aren't we all? Story Story. (laughs) We're Story Story. (laughs) Welcome to the Allegory Story. Today, um, this is our first episode, so we don't know what we're doing yet. We're figuring it out as we go. <laughs> bear, bear, with, bear with us as we do, please. I promise it's going to get interesting. <laughs> It'll get better. It'll get better. It'll get um, better. We'll get our intro down one day. <laughs> Not today. Yeah. <laughs> no. We're just so, going to roll with it. <laughs> so for the first episode, oh, scratch that, for the first uh, series of episodes of the allegory story, we've decided to break into the wonderful world of fairy tales because isn't that where stories kind of start for all of us when we're kids like yeah when we're kids and we're growing up and I think that we were largely exposed like our generation has been largely exposed to the Disney fairy tale and yeah yeah and the Disney fairy tale really is like the mod the most modern adaptation of like some stories that are really really old um, so I think for this this set of episodes, we're going to be going through some of these stories that probably most of us know from from Disney, um, but but they have a history, they have a story of their own, <laughs> and we're going to talk about those. Yeah, they do, and they've got very gruesome beginnings. They're far from the lovely stories of love and overcoming adversity, and how every woman needs a man to be happy. Oh, no, no. <laughs> um, I mean, that was also in a lot of the older stories too, actually. Uh, but yeah. the Disney versions are millions of miles away from how the stories originally started. So we are going to start with Sleeping Beauty. And I don't know about you. I never liked Sleeping Beauty when I was growing up. For me, um, you know, I'm a... I've been watching too much Drag Race. I'm a dress queen, so I love a good dress, and I love a dress that can change colors. So I think think Sleeping Beauty, um, I was interested in it when I was younger, honestly, because of that and those little fairies in the Disney movie. Um, But it wasn't my, my favorite. It wasn't my favorite. Let's put it that way. No, and, and yeah, it definitely wasn't my favorite. I couldn't quite figure out why. Yeah. Um, but let's, let's just do a brief Disney synopsis. So the, there's an evil fairy, essentially, who is very upset that she didn't get an invitation to a royal baby shower. Mm-hmm. And it's 
essentially like a baptism, right? For that day and age, but it's a, it's a royal baby shower. Like come meet the Let's new call princess. It in the, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she's really upset about this. So this is, even just when I think about the premises of this, I'm kind of thinking, of course they had it coming because they had this open invitation, but not for magical creatures, but they invited a few good fairies yeah. And then they didn't invite the evil fairy. Of course, the evil fairy is going to get upset. She's evil. Yeah. My brain is like, why is she evil? What happened? I don't buy it. Like, I don't trust anybody when they tell me a woman is evil anymore. Like, I want to know the backstory. We'll go into that. We'll go into that. <laughs> so uh, she decides to put a curse on the infant prince- princess named Aurora. Uh, so that when she turns 16, she'll prick her finger on the spinning wheel and die on it like a spindle another fairy huh oh i was just gonna say why are spinning wheels like so like evil in old fairy tales (laughs) i don't know they're so dark anyway (laughs) another fairy realizes this and rather than removing the curse she just softens it (laughs) right that's so interesting. <laughs> she just softens it. She's like, no, 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 you're not going to die. You're just going to fall into a really deep sleep to be woken with true love's kiss. I'm like, all right, fine. Dark. So the king orders all of the spinning wheels to in the kingdom to be burned. And the fairies take Aurora to a cottage to protect her. So she's living in the cottage in the forest. It sounds lovely. Fast forward 16 years because apparently she never went back home. Tra-la-la. And they've renamed her Briar Rose um, oh. to conceal her identity. And again, she's just still living with the fairies, like blissfully unaware of her royal status. She just doesn't know. Uh, and then she's dancing with some woodland creatures and runs into a prince. <laughs> and they fall in As love. As we all do. I mean, don't right? we? I know. I love that. Dancing with some royal creatures, you know, having your own little party. You run into some guy, you fall in love. It's so nice. Um, Let's be honest, Mel. Isn't that how you met your partner? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, weren't you dancing somewhere with some like creatures? (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) You know? Anyway, sorry. It was there. I had to go for it. My story wasn't like dissimilar, so I can't say anything. I exactly, yes. Yeah. Similar stories. So fairy tales in their own way. Um <laughs> shortly after the fairies inform Briar Rose of this royal heritage, and they bring her family or her to her family castle. And they make the mistake of leaving her unattended because a 16-year-old cannot be left unattended. And somehow the evil queen tricks her into pricking herself on a, or evil fairy, she uh, tricks her into pricking herself on that spindle, which magically appears. um, And she gets a splinter lodged under her fingernail, which I don't know if you've ever had something lodged under your fingernail. It does really hurt. It hurts enough to like, you think you're going to pass out for a second. Um, Yeah, that sounds horrible. It's terrible. But she instantly has that curse of sleep fall over her. But Prince Philip discovers this and vows to save her. Um, And the good fairies help him kill Maleficent, who's our evil, evil fairy, Maleficent. And then 
they live happily ever after. So that's, I know people that listen to this are going to think I really like Angelina Jolie's version of Maleficent. And listen, we all do. (laughs) Um, We have no hate or shade to the, um, to Maleficent as a character, but we'll get into that later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, we will. So that's the Disney version. Um, And, and then when we think about a lot of the Disney versions, we know that, the Brothers Grimm comes up a lot as like the first name of all of these fairy tales that Disney got came from Brothers Grimm, but they get a lot older than that. They are a lot older than that. A lot of the stories predate them uh, for a long time, predating any specific record stories were told orally. So um, there's no way of knowing without written records exactly how far things go. But the earliest record is a medieval French romance from like 1528 called Purse Forest. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's the earliest record of it. But even this was not written down for a while. But in the tale, let's see here, a princess named Zelandine falls in love with a man named Troilus. Her father sends him to perform tasks to prove himself worthy of her. And mm-hmm. while he's gone, Zelandine falls into an enchat- enchanted sleep. So it's the first record of that enchanted sleep. And then through oral translations, mm-hmm. it probably emerged with a second tale called Genevieve of Brabant about a woman who's falsely accused of infidelity. So each retelling... Right, of course. What era is that? Can I ask? So 1528 was Purse no. Forest. Genevieve of Brabant, I forget. Um, but the tale I'm going to actually tell you about and go into detail was in 1634. So between 1528 and 1634, okay. let's okay. say. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, interesting. So each story changes slightly. People are omitting details or inserting details. They're drawing on their own lived experiences and mixing tales together. And then in 1634, the first published story, the first published version of what will become Sleeping Beauty uh, is called Sun, Moon, and Talia. And it is written by an Italian poet called Jean Battista Basile. Oh, isn't that so interesting? Mm-hmm. Okay. Already interesting to see like how the story travels. So it starts as like a folk tale in mm-hmm. France and then travels to Italy, which I mean, in our current moment, okay, uh, traveling from France to Italy is not really super far, but you think in the 1600s. Yeah. Uh, that's quite a that's quite a distance already for a story to travel. exactly and so it was originally published in Basile's Pentamarone, which is a collection of tales. So it was the first kind of an anthology and collection of fairy tales that was actually in a published book, and it includes some of the first published versions of things like Cinderella, which we'll get into later, um, Rapunzel, a really loose version of Puss in Boots. Um, and Basile was the Grimm brothers basically of the 1600s. So the, the Grimm brothers came a lot, a couple hundred years later. And mm-hmm. so he was born in 1575 to a middle-class family. He is a Neapolitan soldier. He's a public official. He is a poet. Mm-hmm. And with that, he's also a collector of fairy tales and his book Pentamarone uh, was only published after his death. His sister published them a couple of years after he died in 
published them in two volumes in 1634 and then 1636 under a pseudonym. Um, and at the time, this was the best collection of recorded folklore, at least in the Western world. I'm not sure about the entire world, but in the Western world, it's definitely the best collection of written and recorded folklore. So have you heard of... And it's written, it's in, written in Neapolitan. Yeah, it's written in Neapolitan. It yeah. is? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're working with translations here, obviously, but have you ever heard of Sun, Moon, and Talia? No, but it sounds amazing. <laughs> the title of it's gorgeous. Okay. It's <laughs> like why did they turn turn it into Sleeping Beauty? That's so much better. It's it's that happens later and we'll go over that a little bit, but this story is like a doozy because I think it is probably one of the earliest more sophisticated versions of Sleeping Beauty, but it's also one of the darkest. Of course. It has themes of well, do you want me to tell you the themes or should I just get into it? Well, I definitely do want to have, I definitely do want you to tell me the themes, but, um, you know, I mean, it makes sense when we're talking about 16th century Europe is medieval Europe, right? It was a, it was a dark and we'll, I'm sure as we keep doing this podcast, we will dive into medieval Europe quite a, a bit, especially in this fairy tale section, but it, it was a, it was a moment it was dark. There was a lot of things happening. Yeah. And it's, it's just past the Renaissance. So like the age of enlightenment is no more. Um, <laughs> so it, it gets really dark. Uh, so with Sun, Moon, and Talia, I'm just going to dive into it. There is a great Lord and he has, he's blessed with the birth of a daughter who he names Talia. And instead of a curse being placed upon her, like in Sleeping Beauty, there are several wise men to predict her future, and they say that she'll be put in great danger by the splinter of flax. So mm-hmm. that alone is indicative of them studying astrology at the time and it being a science, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're being visited by three wise men rather than a fairy, like just cursing her. Mm-hmm. So the king orders for all of the flax and the hemp to be removed from the castle, but for some reason he doesn't tell Talia about the prophecy. Okay. Years go by, and one day after she's grown into an adult, and we'll also discuss what an adult is, because <laughs> um, it doesn't specify in this version, but it does in later versions, uh, she spots an old woman splin- spinning flax on a spindle outside of the castle walls. And she's curious about this because she's never seen one before. Like she's gone her entire life not knowing what the heck a spindle, the spindle is. Mm-hmm. And calls the old woman into the castle because she wants to learn more. And honestly, she just like wants to give it a go. She wants to have a look at it and try it out. And a splinter of flax si- slides under her fingernail and she passes out and quote unquote dies. Um, The king discovers her unconscious body and pulls a Lord Denethor. Do you get the reference? No. (laughs) Lord of the Rings, Tegan. Oh my god. Jeremy and Boromir's dad. Yeah. Okay. I don't know the name. Listen, (laughs) I've seen Lord of the Rings so many times. Don't I'm horrible with names. I love history, but I'm horrible with names. I like I mean this is my weak point so <laughs> I know so I'm like it's is okay. that a real person I don't know maybe. it's definitely not it's a character from Lord of the Rings but Lord Denethor 
Faramir and Boromir's dad. Uh, yeah, he pulls a Lord Denethor and assumes she's dead. Um, Wait, what is that? He mean? can't oh, actually. Okay. I know. I know the reference. Yeah. Assume she's you know? dead. Yeah, I okay. got it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're looking at the final one. Okay. <laughs> final book. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> he can't actually bring himself to bury her. So instead, he just has her dressed in all of her finery, all of the jewels, the golds, the dresses with jewels attached to them, just like up to the nines. And he brings her into one of his little, pal- not even a palace, but like one of his chateaus nice houses in the woods and turns that house into a tomb and then leaves her there he abandons it he never goes near it again he's just struck with grief so he's just going to leave it as a tomb okay okay she's not dead she's not dead he thinks that she's dead uh she's in a that cursed sleep state so right yeah okay Right. Okay. So sometime later, a king from a nearby kingdom discovers her house while hunting and is curious about it. So he decides to explore and he breaks in. He finds Talia unconscious and he tries to wake her. Um, and then this is where things get weird because uh, I'm he like, doesn't where's this think... going? I feel creeped out. <laughs> yes. He doesn't think that she's dead. But he also gives up on trying to wake her. And he finds himself so entranced by her beauty that he falls in love and essentially proceeds to rape her. No! Ew, I was like, I'm feeling that, what is it called when you, when you're like attracted to corpses? Necrophilia. Necrophilia. It was giving me necrophilia <laughs> vibes from the beginning. Like 100%. Like it, it wasn't yeah. that, but he didn't know that. He didn't know. There's Gross. just this unconscious being and it's not waking up. And I guess she yeah. doesn't, she hasn't settled into rigor mortis because she's not actually dead, but you know, she's not waking up. It's like a Kill Bill situation. <laughs> Which is so awful. Oh, God. Yeah. So, yeah, he rapes her. And then he's like, that was nice. I'm going to go back to my kingdom. And he carries on with his life. And he doesn't really think about her. Off we go. The way, anyways, I don't want to bash men too much right out of the gate on this show. But, like. (laughs) Um, So here's a plot twist, right? So he rapes her. Is like, thank you so much. See ya. Goes back. Can we say the R word in a podcast? Do we have to say he like forces his will on her? No. We can say whatever we want. You can say whatever you want. It's our podcast. Okay, great. (laughs) You can say whatever you want. Because if we go into history of civilization, that happened a lot. I don't think we can avoid it. Too much. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. So anyways. Um, he rapes her. He decides to leave and go back to his kingdom. He does have a kingdom after all. Um, and then she becomes pregnant with his twins. Yeah. Nice face. That's so interesting. (laughs) She becomes pregnant with his twins, a boy and a girl who will come to be known as sun and moon. Nine months go by. She's still comatose. 
Uh, and she gives birth to the babies while unconscious. And she does this with the help of two good fairies. Uh, they yeah. help with the birthing process. And they also place the babies onto her chest so that they can breastfeed. Um, we won't go into why they didn't help prevent the rape. Because <laughs> yeah. that ties into the moral of the story. Okay. Okay. Uh, somehow one of the twins just starts suckling on her thumb instead of her breast and the splinter that was under the fingernail that caused this entire curse is sucked out and she wakes up. Okay. So way less romantic than true love's kiss, but honestly, maybe more romantic because a lot of people say you find true love with your child instantly. Disney but it's was like, like we were doing the best with the materials that we had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so she wakes up to find two infants on her chest and assumes they're hers and maternal instincts take over. And the story doesn't really actually go into what that thought process was for her. Like one second, she's just this girl who is curious about a spindle and wants to try out this newfangled technology she'd never seen before. And the next second, she's waking up and has two babies sucking on her chest. Mm. Like, they don't really go into her thoughts and feelings. And mm. Talia just takes everything in stride, as women do at the time. Yeah. So um, I have such an too. overwhelming sense of disapproval in this whole thing. I'm like, I'm not <laughs> okay with it. <laughs> So she's raising, she's raising the children in her house with the help of the fairies who continue bringing her food and other things they might need. But eventually the king who raped her remembers her and is like, oh, that was a really good time. I'm going to go back and see if she's still there. Um, so he goes back to check on her and is very surprised to find that she is suddenly awake and holding two babies. Mm -hmm. And he is completely overjoyed when he sees them. Uh, and tells Talia how she gets pregnant and basically tells her that the babies are also his. And he stays in the house for a couple of days and the four of them get really close. And, you know, she decides that she loves him as well. But he has to leave to go rule his kingdom. Um, he does not tell her that he has a wife back home. Oh, the shade of it all. Uh... <laughs> <sighs> now... The king's wife does eventually become known as the evil witch or the evil fairy. Get out! Yeah, in oh, later versions of the tale. But originally, she is just the queen. She's okay. just the king's wife. Okay. Okay. The problem is that the king is so infatuated with Talia and the twins that he just keeps repeating their names over and over again. Sun, Moon, and Talia. And when the queen finds out that he has started another family, because she hears him saying these names over and over. So she does some sleuthing of her own and has people help her figure out what the heck is going on. So she finds out that the king started another family and is understandably very upset, but she goes a little bit mad. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. Like, of course you would. Why mad would you? in the truest sense of the word. Because she manages to trick Talia into sending her children to the kingdom and tells the cook to slaughter them oh, no. and feed, wants to feed them to her cheating husband. And that's how Hansel and Gretel's story was born out of the <laughs> Sleeping Beauty story. No, I'm just joking. That's not true. <laughs> it sounds like it's going there. It does. But okay, so um, 
the cook has the children delivered to him and he doesn't want to kill the children. So he decides to hide them away with his wife. Obviously, no one knows about this. He slaughters some lamb instead and uses that in the dish. But when the king and queen sit down for dinner that night, she watches him eat and she keeps saying stuff like, you're eating what's yours. And she keeps repeating it. And he doesn't understand what the hell she's talking about, but gets fairly annoyed with her and says, of course, I'm eating what's mine. Like, you've never given me anything and gets upset and leaves to go to a little cottage. Oh, so the dynamic there is it's not great. kind of. Did they have children? It doesn't specify. Does it, do we know? Doesn't specify. Mm-hmm. Oh, this sounds just like a, a king with a, like that scenario, mm-hmm. a king with a queen who doesn't, isn't able to provide him an heir. So he just goes like spreading it around. Yeah. yeah. Very well could be. So um, there's no mention of children. There's no mention of whether or not she cannot have kids, but regardless, they don't have a great dynamic. Um, he leaves and She then manages to kidnap Talia and she brings her to the palace. And so the king is gone at this time. Uh, She kidnaps Talia and accuses her of cheating. And the exact line is so great. You are a fine piece of goods, you ill weed who are enjoying my husband. So you are the lump of filth, the cruel bitch that has caused my head to spin. Change your ways for you are welcome in purgatory where I will compensate you for the damage you have done to me. Which is basically like, you're the whore that's been enjoying my husband. I'm going to fucking welcome you to hell. You're going to get there soon. I love that as early as the 16th century. And honestly, like, I'm sure we're going to see it even more the further we dive into this. But like from a very early moment in time we've been pitting women against each other it's it's Mm -hmm. not the fact that this woman didn't know this guy was married and was essentially graped you know what I Mm -hmm. mean but -hmm. it's like but now she is the evil one because because she had these children you know what I mean like and yeah and I think it's really interesting from like a narratives a narrative perspective that like right away um we're pitting we're pitting chicks against each other yeah and really it's neither one of their faults no this guy needs to keep his dick in his pants. he does granted at the same time she I shouldn't though, kill technically she shouldn't like kill the, the kids king. it's like the job <laughs> i guess like tech well yeah that yeah she shouldn't kill kids and technically it's like job of a king to like have heirs i guess so maybe he has to pull his i don't know anyway i don't i don't know it doesn't this was written by a man. This is very clearly written by a man. Anyways. <laughs> Talia is saying that it's not her fault, that she was asleep, and then all of a sudden there were kids, and, like, you know, she's trying to say Precisely. it really... It, yeah, it was not her fault, but she also sees this massive bonfire in the courtyard and kind of puts two and two together and realizes that she is about to be burned alive. Like, when I say that the queen went mad, she truly went mad. Uh, So to buy time, Talia asks to undress herself. So remember, she is in super luxurious clothing. She's got all her finery on because she was buried with all of that stuff. Um, So the queen, seeing this and being like, yeah, that's worth a lot of money. It looks like good stuff, actually agrees to let her undress. 
And so she removes each layer as slowly as she can. And she's crying, like wailing super, super loudly to try and get attention. Now, of course, at this exact moment, the king is on his way back. So he had that argument with the queen, left, is coming back, and he hears this commotion. Um, He had no idea that he would find Talia almost completely naked, staring face to face with his wife, and demands an explanation from the queen, who basically tells him that she fed him his children. Uh, And he orders the queen and those who helped her to be pushed into the fire instead. Okay. When it's the cook's turn to burn, he confesses the truth to the king, which is I saved the children. I only fed you lamb. They're with my wife. They're okay. And once they were reunited, he awards the cook with many great riches. And then Talia and sun moon and the king live happily ever after. So this is so crooked, <laughs> crooked. Like what the literal? What in the literary fuck, man? <laughs> I know it's that's. I'm like the themes of like rape, sexuality, infidelity, murder. Like they're. It's very different from the later versions of the tale, which become a lot softer. And I think that that's also indicative of what was happening in the 1600s. So especially, specifically in Italy in the 1600s, there was a lot of economic decline. They were experiencing bouts of bubonic plague. All over the place in Europe, children were witnessing drunkenness and would drink at an early age, and they would see public floggings and hangings and disembowelments in town squares. So they were surrounded by violence and and cruelty and gritty gritty era. Those things weren't strangers to children. Life was harsh. And I think that fairy tales, like we look at these old versions, we're like, oh my gosh, how can they give this, this story to kids? But it is blending a fantasy, like a blissful fantasy with the harsh reality, I think. And it helps them understand the world around them. And I feel like it was perfectly natural. And we don't deal with those things in the same way now. So our fairy tales have evolved as society has evolved as well. Yeah, I guess in this day and age where we, this is actually a really interesting point that you make, because I feel like, you know, in media at the moment, you'll, you'll always see people talking about like, protecting the children and keeping the children safe, which of course, Mm -hmm. like I a thousand bajillion percent agree with. Um, But I guess this is like an idea we've actually created over time because there was an era where kids were not kids and adults Mm -hmm. and teenagers didn't even exist until like what, like the, the forties, I think it is. And like, you know, um, everybody was just kind of exposed to everything in the, in the same kind of way. And that that's just really interesting because thinking that these stories are the types of stories that are going to develop into something that you tell your kids to give them and like a warm, fuzzy feeling inside is kind of like, well, yeah, it is. And when you think about, well, so let's go into like what even an adult is because yeah. Uh, the next version of this story, which was by Charles Perrault, um, who was French, as you can tell with the name. Um, <laughs> so we definitely are going to have overlap because Charles Cinderella, Cinderella, yeah, he wrote Cinderella. Well, yeah. he 
he kind of shifts them and then well though uh how do you say his name Giambattista yeah the Italian yeah, yeah, yeah. literary literature yeah writer? yeah Giambattista or, or Giambattista okay. I'm not sure Yes. Okay. Is it okay? Anyways, he kind of writes it, and then Charles Perrault comes along, writes a lot of the same stories. Writes Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Little Red Riding Hood, Puss in Boots, and does it um, with the backing of kind of like the French court and Louis the Fourteenth, and and that's and that becomes like the famous stories that we know now. Yeah, it becomes, they start to get a little more romanticized. They start to get a little more Christian. Um, yes, yes. And that's yeah. something I, I, I want to talk about when we get into the Cinderella story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we won't touch it right so now. But, there. Yeah. but what I wanted to touch upon was in Charles Pujol's version, he actually, the, the age of uh, Sleeping Beauty is actually given at 16 years old. In the Grimm mm-hmm. brothers, they are 15 years old, and then Disney increased it again. So I think that Talia is probably 15 or 16 as well. And this is her being a grown woman, right? Like women would get married and have kids a lot younger. Um, when you think of medieval Europe, yeah, people were dying in their 20s, right? Exactly. So they yeah. were considered full grown. Yeah, that's they true. Were considered the concept full of grown. an adult changes completely. Exactly. So... Uh, there's certain there's a certain naivety or naivete that kind of comes along with it where you know kids know what sex is Talia probably realizes I mean the king tells her what happened but at the same time young women are expected to marry up and remember she's just the daughter of a lord so Mm. the fact that she was raped doesn't matter a king wants a relationship with her like that's amazing So that was something I was just going to say too. Like, I think as we dive into stories, there's going to be a lot, like all of of many of these stories have that element of forced sex in them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, because, you know, that this is like, this is a modern issue. Like this is only in our time. Are we actually getting to expose rape for what it really is in society? And for all of this time, for all of these years, all for centuries, this has just been getting like pushed off as just like something that happened, something that people had to deal with privately, Mm -hmm. or like what you're saying here, something that was like, you know, not a big deal because the guy was a king and that's, that's, that's lucky for her, (laughs) you know, which is insane to think about, but that's, that's the time that that's what we're working with in that time. Exactly. And so hearing that, what do you think the moral of the story is? Oh, gosh. Uh, I have no idea. I'm so lost yeah, in the sauce it's... of it right now. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so with Disney's version, the moral of the story, it progresses to the point where it's true love conquers all, good always triumphs over evil. And mm. in Sun, Moon, and Talia... The moral of the story is those whom fortune favors find good luck even in their sleep. 
it's not exactly immoral. It's if you're lucky, you're lucky. If you're if you're privileged, you're privileged. Um, if fortune finds if you, lucky, it will. You find might you. just get assaulted in your sleep, and it might turn out good for you. That's it so might turn out good for you because life was really freaking dark and harsh. Yeah, it, I think it's again. It's really interesting as we're going to be exploring all of these stories to really think about. Like our mentality is just so different in this day and age mm-hmm. to the mentality like when these stories were written. Like, you know, I, I think we're at the point now where you can watch movies from 10 or 20 years ago and see, oh shit, that didn't age well. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? And oh, yeah. so like <laughs> these are even these are even older still. And it just goes to show you like the mentality, how much we've had to work on it and force our the conversations around certain aspects of these stories like in through society over time yeah wild. yeah super wild and then just the language itself um it changes so in jean Battista's version in, in Italia sun moon Italia um the queen when she is speaking to some of the people she actually mentions the name of greek gods so even though yes europe was Christian at the time, there was still talk of Greek gods. And it wasn't until Pahot came that all of these fairy tales, and we've already said it, but like it wasn't until Pahot came along that these fairy tales really started to develop more of that Christian vibe to them. Yeah. So it's really interesting because when you were telling me this story, one of the things that came into my mind was um, I know that there is a Greek story about how the sun and the moon are birthed and they're like brother and sister. Um, mm-hmm. Haven't explored the story yet because that's going to be a different, <laughs> uh, what are we calling them? Not episode. It's going to be a different season of this season. show where we explore yeah. the, the Greek history and mythology. But there is like a story connected to that so when you had mentioned it in here I was like huh I wonder if there is even some connection to that so now that you're saying that I feel like again it it very well could be and then I think in Perot's version the children are renamed to dawn and day so that changes slightly um like the character names change a little bit but yeah there there is and in Perot's version you have more of the the fairies getting involved but in Jean Baptiste's version, yeah. you are dealing with wise wise men, right? So you're looking at astrology. That is a a, a valued science at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that again, it's just it's such a clear indication of what was going on in society. Um, con- the also of probably as like an interesting side note, the concept yeah. of a, of wise men. I think when we think of wise men, like what do you think of historically when you think of wise men? Oh, well, I think of, yeah, people who looked to the stars and were able to plot um, not necessarily futures, but had a, a really clear grasp of, what could be expected not necessarily detailed futures but yeah yes who would be able to to kind of plan things based on whether or not stars align and they're able to read that information so when I think of wise men I think of the bible like the three wise men that went there 
visit Jesus. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think it's it's interesting because when we use the term wise men in these stories, it's usually an indication that it's like people coming from Eastern cultures, like Islamic cultures. True. And what is what is interesting is like when medieval Europe is in its medieval phase, um, the East is going through its Renaissance. And mm-hmm. that is where the birth of a lot of the astrology that we're even using today actually really started from. Like there's other versions of astrology, but essentially there was a version of astrology that was created in the East. And then it was brought mm-hmm. over because Islam at the time of medieval Europe actually had control over Spain. So it's brought yep. into Spain and up through Europe. Obviously, it shifts and shapes as things do, but it's an it's an indication of that which is pretty cool i think yeah and it's honestly what helped actually spark the renaissance but that's a whole other different conversation yeah i know i think i i think it's going to be the more and more when we were like cre- when we were creating the the subjects for like this podcast i was like there is no way we're not going to hit some overlap because stories are such an indication of culture and the Mm -hmm. mix and the outside influences that come in and can contribute something so like you can see overlaps in stories everywhere so yeah we'll definitely like touch on things and then probably have to go back and dive deeper into them later but I just really think that it's interesting like in the classical like European storytelling format that should like also Um, indicate something about the Bible but like in that format the wise men are like always people from the east (laughs) you know it's true it's true astrologers essentially (laughs) essentially yeah it's it's true um I mean I think that pretty much wraps up Sun Moon and Talia and it, it gives us a quick glimpse into what society was actually at like at the time we haven't really touched upon how women are portrayed in this, but I feel like I will save that for Cinderella because there will be some overlap in how the two types of women, let's say, are portrayed in Disney tales. Yeah, absolutely. And what that really connects to in terms of stories as well. Well, that was really interesting. I wish they kept the title Sun, Moon and Talia. I get why they didn't, but I really like it. I also really like the name Talia as a side note. Um, (laughs) It makes me sad when I hear these stories when you break them down, you can see that they have like the dark roots. Um, and maybe it doesn't feel dark to a lot of people, but I think especially if you're a woman, it feels kind of dark. Oh, for sure. It feels Cause you can dark. imagine if you've ever been in a bad situation in your life ever, even one that isn't as brutal as what Talia goes through, like, you know, that that could be like a really awful situation. Oh, and yeah. that is kind of like, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's hard to sit with, I think, as a woman, knowing what all Mm -hmm. of these stories were really kind of, that that whole part of the story isn't even really examined. It's more like we're examining it here, but what it really more is about is like, if you're lucky when you're sleeping, you'll still be fortunate. (laughs) I know it's, it's, yeah. The happily ever after is Talia getting married to her necrophiliac rapist and 
a woman sent mad by her cheating husband goes down in history as the villain of the story, not yeah, the yeah, one who forced exactly. sex. And, and, and she's not scot-free. Like, she wanted to kill the children. She wanted to kill Chal- Talia. Like, she's not innocent by any means, but she's not the only evil character. <laughs> yeah, to circle it back around. Like, and actually, I think one of the cool things that, Dis- like, Disney's definitely changed its uh, motivation um, in this moment in time as compared to, like, when we were growing up, um, which was in the 80s, guys. Shut up. Don't judge that. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're millennials. Elder yes. millennials. <laughs> Sure are. <laughs> We've been here long enough that we can talk about how fucked up these stories are. <laughs> I mean, I think even if you haven't, if you're looking at it and comparing it to society today, it's a yeah. clear indication. But yeah. I think we'll leave it there for now. Okay, well, that was so interesting. I feel like I learned a lot. Um, and yeah. We we feel for you, Maleficent. <laughs> we feel for you, modern day Aurora. One last thing I want to say, actually, about Sleeping Beauty is um, if this podcast interested you in diving deeper into the stories of Sleeping Beauty, definitely do it. But also, I know we both said at the beginning we're not so crazy about the story of Sleeping Beauty, but interesting to re-watch the Disney movie of Sleeping Beauty for the animation, if you're somebody that's really into animation and you get like all the warm and fuzzies when you see kind of like what is now considered like a vintage animation, <laughs> you should watch it. Just just like honestly for alone for like the opening scenes in the palace because I really am not a huge fan of the story, but re-watching the illustration of it on film, I was like, oh, this is, this is like something nostalgic. This is like giving me a moment. So... <laughs> I think all I of the Disney it. movies will do that, right? I, I rewatched that. it like a couple months ago and I was like, I actually love the vibe of this, like the <laughs> of, the, of the animation. I love it. So That's strongly hilarious. encourage a watch of the Disney version anyway. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Yes, we'll see you next time where we'll be diving into Cinderella, another tale of a woman who gets a weird deal and is lucky to marry a prince. But it goes much further than that, of course. Of course. <laughs> see you next time. Bye.